Listener note, this podcast was created as an adjunct for those studying for the PCS exam. By no means do we guarantee that one will pass the exam solely by listening to this podcast. We encourage all those studying for the exam to put the appropriate time and effort into their studying using resources recommended by the ABPTS and the APTA. It is not allowed to discuss test content and we will not accept any questions related to test content. While we will do our best to provide the most accurate information, if you feel as though we have stated something that is incorrect, please contact us via Instagram at Pushing Pediatrics. Hi, I'm Sheila. And I'm Sarah. And welcome to Pushing Pediatrics, an educational podcast for physical therapists created to help those studying for the Pediatric Certified Specialist exam and anyone else interested in learning more about pediatric physical therapy. Welcome back to Pushing Pediatrics. Let's get back into these fact sheets, shall we? We're going to start off this episode by discussing the fact sheet, teaming, using a primary service provider approach. This fact sheet is a question and answer layout. We have discussed this previously, but it's definitely worth going over again. The primary service provider's approach is used in early intervention to support families of infants and toddlers in achieving the outcomes established in the Individualized Family Service Plan, the IFSP. Using this approach, a team of professionals work together to provide assessment, intervention, consultation, and education in order to support children, families, and caregivers. One member of the team serving as the primary service provider functions as the primary liaison between the family and other team members. This person receives consultation from the other team members in order to address all of the family and child's needs. The goal of the primary service provider approach is to build the capacity of parents to support their child through natural learning opportunities. This goal is consistent with the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, Part C, and is supported by the mission and key principles for providing early intervention services in natural environments. The primary service provider can be anyone who is part of the early intervention team. When the referral is made to the early intervention program, the team decides which team member is the best match for the child and family. The role of the primary service provider is to provide early intervention services for the child and family with consultation, support, and or coaching from the other team members. The primary service provider can change if needed, but the goal is to keep this to a minimum. All team members attend regular meetings in order to provide and receive colleague-to-colleague -colleague consultation and to ensure that the child and family are making progress towards all outcomes. The child and family should have access to all team members as needed via team meetings and joint visits. The frequency and intensity of services are a team decision and may change as the child develops and parents and caregivers become more confident and competent. The fact sheet gives an example. When a child first begins an early intervention, the family may need a lot of support. In this case, the team may decide to provide an initial burst of more frequent, intensive, direct services. The team may then decide to reduce the frequency and intensity of services 
as the family gains competence in supporting their child's development. Determination of frequency and intensity of services are based upon many factors, including the needs of the child, the individual circumstances of the family, and the competencies of the primary service provider and team. Knowing and understanding dosing across the practice areas is vital, and there are additional documents to help you with this task. Moving on to the fact sheet, management of equipment used by PTs in school-based practice. This one is kind of long, but definitely can be condensed to the basics. School-based PTs use a variety of adaptive equipment within their practice to help support their students in the educational setting. Sadly, many schools have a limited budget for equipment to meet the need. These PTs often rely on older, used, donated, and or fabricated equipment to afford student access to educational activities. The purpose of this fact sheet is to provide procedural recommendations for the processes of inventory, maintenance, care, and replacement of adaptive equipment to school-based PTs and other school personnel. The individual education plan team determines the needed materials and equipment provided under IDEA. The IEP documents the equipment as supplementary aids and services as part of the services on behalf of students or as an individualized support need for the school day. The equipment should be necessary for the student to fully access the educational setting and to make progress toward their goals and objectives. Under IDEA, adaptive equipment is categorized under the general definition of assisted technology, and PTs are often responsible for providing these. The selection and acquisition of needed adaptive equipment can come from multiple sources, including direct purchasing, accessing through an inventory of previously acquired equipment, using donated equipment, or modifying or customizing already acquired equipment, and fabricating specifically designed equipment for a student. For purchasing new equipment, if possible and prior to purchasing, the student should trial the recommended adaptive equipment to ensure that it is beneficial and necessary for progress, access, and participation. Equipment trials, input from the student, family, and other team members are key data for the IEP team to consider when determining how best to meet each student's unique needs to access the general education curriculum and for them to make progress on goals and objectives. Financing equipment should not be a topic of discussion at the student's IEP meeting. Those responsible for providing equipment for students may have previously acquired equipment in their inventory available for use. The donor and recipient should ensure the donated equipment is operational and all essential accessories are available. Instructions and service manuals should be available. The equipment should meet or exceed existing safety and performance specifications. Commercially available equipment may need to be modified or customized to meet a specific student need. Any necessary modifications must maintain the integrity of the equipment. For example, adding a seatbelt or foam inserts to an adaptive chair may be necessary to support a student in an upright position in class, but should not affect the integrity of the chair. Any modifications must be carefully assessed for potential safety concerns. When the specific needs of an individual student cannot be met by a commercially available piece of equipment, fabrication of equipment may be necessary. There should be accurate, up-to-date records of all stored equipment. Inventories are effective when they are comprehensive, current, and accurate. 
Equipment, when not in use, requires storage that is safe, clean, well-lit, environmentally controlled, and accessible. Keeping equipment clean is important for the health and well-being of the students who use the equipment, as well as for the staff who assist students. In addition to visibly soiled equipment, food, dust, mildew, and mold can all accumulate on the equipment. This accumulation of dust and mold can trigger allergic reactions, respiratory infections, increase potential asthma problems, and cause other health issues. Regular cleaning will reveal loose or worn parts, enhance operation, and extend the life expectancy and value of the equipment. Individual states determine cleaning policies for schools and child care centers. School-based PTs should investigate state, local, and manufacturer cleaning recommendations when developing a policy for cleaning equipment. The CDC defines three levels of cleaning. One, cleaning. That removes germs, dirt, and impurities from surfaces or objects. This does not necessarily kill germs, but will lower the number and risk of spreading disease. Disinfecting specifically kills germs on surfaces or objects. Chemicals are used to kill germs on surfaces. Sanitizing lowers the number of germs on a surface to a safe level. I actually didn't know that before I read this fact sheet, so I really learned a lot about cleaning. Equipment maintenance is a vital part of any equipment management program. Proper maintenance improves quality of care, ensures safety, and minimizes risk to the user. Manuals provided by the equipment manufacturers offer guidelines regarding detailed parts lists, warranties, and instructions for effective replacement. Appropriate maintenance ensures safe and continuous usage from the equipment. In addition to ongoing safety inspections, it is imperative that equipment used by students be replaced and discarded when deemed unsafe. This might be because parts are no longer available or broken. The cost of repair outweighs the cost to replace. Physical therapists may have access to equipment resources available for loan to families, students, schools, and districts. Rationales for the short-term loan of equipment include the following. To ensure a free, appropriate public education. To assist in decision-making as to whether to purchase or obtain a particular device. To fill in the gap of time when an individual is waiting for a device repair or funding. Or to provide accommodations for short-term needs. There are different organizations that can provide loaner equipment. Examples are Easter Seals and the United Cerebral Palsy. The next fact sheet we will go over is developing collaborative IEP goals. The purpose of this fact sheet is really to go over and explain the premise behind collaborative goal writing for a child on an IEP. As a school-based physical therapist, one provides physical therapy services within the school setting in order to allow the child to better access their education. Therefore, goals should be created that address concerns of all team members in regards to the child's access to their education. The goal should be related to the child's education and, in theory, should be able to be worked on by all members of the team. This means the goal should not be discipline specific. The fact sheet goes on to explain that an IEP addresses the whole student when the IEP team considers the strengths, needs, interests, educational needs, fosters teamwork by understanding each other's roles and responsibilities, addresses what is most relevant for the student to participate in during typical activities and school routines, and constructs student IEP goals 
that focus on participation in priority activities and routines as determined by the IEP team. While this fact sheet seems long, it really just consists of a few charts. The first long chart is titled Potential Concerns and Suggestions for Collaboration. These concerns include everything from roles and responsibilities to reimbursement. It is much easier to read through the chart than it is for me to read it verbatim to you. The last part of the fact sheet provides two examples for you to look at that detail a student and how the IEP team came up with collaborative goals for the student. The next fact sheet that we will go over is called Providing PT Under the IDEA. If you have yet to go over school-based physical therapy and the IDEA, look no further than this fact sheet. It's short, but packed with information for you. The Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, or IDEA, Part B, was created to, quote, ensure that children with disabilities have available to them a free and appropriate public education that emphasizes special education and related services designed to meet their unique needs and prepare them for further education, employment, and independent living. To implement IDEA Part B, the student must have their needs determined by using student data and evaluations. Parents, teachers, and related service team members work together to create an individualized education plan with measurable goals. Supports are also listed that a student might need to best access their educational environment, such as a wheelchair, orthotics, a communication device, or a classroom chair. This was exactly what Sheila was talking about in her last fact sheet. The IEP is a legal document. The IEP process includes referral, evaluate or reevaluate, determine eligibility, develop an IEP, and provide specially designed instruction, supplemental and related services in the least restrictive environment. Physical therapy services can be provided if it is determined that the child needs a physical therapist's expertise to attain a student goal. Services can be provided across a continuum of individual one-on-one -on -one services to a consultative model. Physical therapy providers determine needs for appropriate assistive technology, supplementary aids, accommodations, and strategies to promote practice, participation, motor development, access, self-determination, and safety as related to their school day. A physical therapist must be licensed to provide services. Each state differs in regards to physical therapy assistance. Funding is usually provided by Medicaid or other sources, and special education and related services must be provided at no cost to the parent or family. If anyone has any further questions about school-based therapy, feel free to message us on Instagram or comment on our Facebook page. I am a school-based physical therapist and can do my best to answer any questions that you may have regarding school-based physical therapy. It can get confusing because certain things are not the same as practicing in other settings. So do not hesitate to reach out.
I'm also going to put a plug in for a little bit more work for people, which is, I really do think that there is value in going back and looking specifically through the actual federal laws. This is something I did not do. And I really do think that that would have been beneficial even to people practicing in school-based therapy, because each state is different. So even if you feel like you know the rules and the laws, they could be very state-specific. And so really, you need to have a good understanding of what the overarching law is. And that's how you're going to answer your questions, because different states might have different requirements for how often they need to be reassessed or reevaluated. And so even if you know, or even if you reach out to your own colleagues and ask them, they might be giving you a state-specific answer. And so I do really feel like going back and looking at the specific law at least one time is going to give you just like a general idea of what the rules are, because that is how you're going to answer the question. Thank you all so much for listening to Pushing Pediatrics. You can follow us on Instagram at Pushing Pediatrics. We would love to hear from you. So send us questions, suggestions, things you want to hear more of, and things you'd maybe want to hear less of. We will talk to you guys next week. And remember, you totally got this.